This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. The Jay Severin Show. Okay, honestly, does my becoming ill... Seeing Hillary hog, uh, hug Obama indicate that I'm becoming too partisan? What did you feel when you watched them hog, uh, hug Excelsior? Welcome back. I'm Jay Severin. You are the best and brightest. Together we are the Blaze Radio Network. one 3393 The complaint line, for which purpose it's never been used, but remains open. one 3393 And uh, the, on, the, on the Twitter thing, at J-A-Y underscore S-E-V-E-R-I-N. Today... <clears throat> I would like to share with you the burning story for uh, because I think it is an American epic. But don't worry. You can only imagine, you know, when I tell you I'm, I promise to say something briefly, and now I call something an epic, you're getting ready with pots of black coffee and the, you know, no doze. No. Uh, this really is... Uh, an epic, but it isn't mine, and it isn't uh, an epic of length. It's an epic of, of 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 simple and direct profundity, and it's very American, but it's not unique. And I want to tell the story because I have been as close to it as you can be, without being its at least its primary casualty. I've seen it, watched it, been extremely close to it, and now is an opportunity to see it right now uh, with Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. But lest I be deterred from my happy obligation to catch us up on the DNC and what's not happening there, Maybe it's realistic to say that I will do the Bernie story at uh, the top of the next hour, 4 o'clock Eastern. I think that's realistic. If, if I can do it earlier, I will do it earlier. But I am going to do it today because I got, I got scared a little bit because Rush started to flirt earlier today with the notion of, <clears throat> and thank goodness he didn't go here. Because good luck to me, uh, you know, and this has happened on several other occasions, but when 
when when I say something that Rush has said, either knowingly or unknowingly, I, you know, I have to defend myself and say, well, you know, I, I thought of it. It's in my notes. I'm going to mention it, even though I know I'm going to get wisecrack tweets that say, you know, what are you doing? Reading us the transcript from Rush's show today? But Rush started to, Rush, who's my friend and hero, uh, was flirting with this today. But he he was great, but he stopped short of 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 the story I want to tell. I want to tell the story of what happens to Bernie Sanders right now. What happened to Bernie Sanders as of two nights ago? Because Earth is a different place for Bernie Sanders right now. And it's like he woke up on another planet. It's very real, and I think it's very interesting. It's very American, but it ain't unique, which is what makes it important. It is not unique to to Bernie Sanders. Toity, toity, and toity, you guys. All right. DNC, uh, directly and indirectly. First, the first woman tonight, for the first time in American history, a woman is scheduled to accept the nomination for the office of president of the United States. The, the nomination of a major party, of a major political, uh, American political party. So what? Now, I will not surprise some of us, most of us, I hope, and may surprise a few by saying, so what? Uh, Until you know how I mean that. You see, this is an attitude, maybe the only one. Well, not the only one. Uh, This is one of the few attitudes I believe I share with millennials and in this very particular case some other very lucky people so what you know why I say that not because I have no sense of history not because it's not important I say so what in the way I am told and I see from the uh, polling good private polling, millennials' attitude is about... I mean, there are a lot of attitudes about Hillary. Some of them absolutely adore her. There's no question. You know, we've been handed this line that they all worship Bernie Sanders. Many of them do. Many of them don't. And most of them will end up voting for Hillary. And most of them agree very naturally with uh, Hillary Clinton's policies even given the several hundred years age difference. But an attitude I share with millennials is, so what? I mean, this particular dimension of this, they've been polled, the millennials, repeatedly. How important is it to you that it's a woman that can be president for the first time? And the the millennial, uh, all the polling of millennials shows, their reaction is, so? So what? And it's not because they're misogynists, as 
I'm sure at least a couple of people assumed when I said, presumed, when I said, when I said, so what? But we say it for the same reason. So what? Of, of course a woman can be president. No, one hasn't. And so, yes, it's remarkable. Yes, it's historic. But, eh. And the reason I can say, eh, is because I'm not a millennial, but I had an experience that blesses me with the, uh, enables me and blesses me to share an attitude with millennials. And that is the equality of women. Yeah, no, this is, this is still Jay. Yeah, yeah. Was I one of the original madmen? Yes. Did I chase girls? Yes. In the workplace? Yes. It has nothing to do with the equality of women. Absolutely zero to do with it. That's made up politics. The equality of women is a human fact. It's a human right. It's a human right. And it never occurred to me otherwise. Because I'm one of a number, uh, but a minority, of very lucky people whose experience from birth in the major stations of my life has always been a little different than others in at least one in at least one, and I think, again, profound respect, women. Permit me to explain next. Jay Severin. On the Blaze Radio Network. In the next 19 seconds, you could sell your home. Okay, it's, I mean, it's not going to sell your home, I mean, this, but it, you're going to take a big step toward getting it sold. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com and find an agent selected by my team, a professional who shares your values and speaks the truth. Sell your home fast and for the most money. Get moving at realestateagentsitrust.com. Jay Severin on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. Best and Brightest, 1-888-900-3393. DNC coming up. First, my uh, brief, honest explanation of how it is that someone in my ancient age group, in current American culture right now, that means anyone over 35, so I barely qualify. Uh, anyone in my ancient age group is is maybe maybe sharing a fundamental value with millennials. I do, and that is when you say list the significance of uh, the various uh, significant factors of a Hillary Clinton candidacy and presidency some people say so what i mean okay great but so what it's like at the bottom of my list i'm voting for but it's the bottom of my list and the so what part 
I share for a very simple reason. I have, and this is unusual in my peer group, I have been surrounded, and I'm the product of, for good or ill, I have been surrounded since birth by strong, smart women. My mother was an exceptionally clever, witty, uh, she was an amateur painter and a full-time beatnik, really, until the day she died, which was made for the most marvelous odd couple. My father, the World War II guy, and my mother, the, the, the iconoclast. I mean, she really was an old beatnik, and I laugh to think about it, but they, I don't know. They loved each other very much. In any case, my mother was a very strong, smart woman. My sister is a very strong, smart woman. I went to a college which was is one of what's called the Seven Sisters. Wellesley Smith, Vassar, uh, Mount Holyoke. The it's the women's, the women's Ivy League. And in I don't know the, I guess the uh, mid seventies, early to mid seventies, uh, uh, this college converted very slowly but surely to. Of co-education, but I was in the first class just by, by blessed coincidence and a great blessing of life. I was in the first class of men. There were like eighty men and eighteen hundred women. Thank you, God. So that's why I knew young that there was a God. Uh, in any case, and uh, there I was, again surrounded, influenced by, in competition with usually unsuccessfully, you know, 2,000 strong, smart women, most of them smarter than I. And then on to graduate school, where there were far more women than men uh, in my my study. And then beyond that into life, where I... Look, my point is... I've always been surrounded by strong, smart women, usually uh, maybe stronger, but certainly smarter than I. And so among the things that ring out to me as remarkable when I look at Hillary Clinton is, is well, is nothing really. I mean, because now we get into politics. But, uh, but that it's a woman and she could be president, well, of, of course of course a woman could. I wish it weren't this woman, of course, but and I'm not sure this is a woman. I'm I'm still pretty sure this is a member of the 1968 East German women's swim team or weightlifting team that has to shave twice a day. I just mean, and I just mean her beard. So I'm not saying anything nice about Hillary, certainly. I am saying, great. I mean, sure, but it's no big deal. I mean, it's a very, yes, yes, it's a very big deal. But those who are true feminists, 
are the ones who don't think about it. When you say to me, a woman is about to get the nomination of a major party, it's like saying to me, an African-American is about to get the, the nomination of a major party. Okay, I get that it's historic. That's great. Swell. Grand. Keen. Nifty. But, uh, you know, the, 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 the phonies to me are the ones who make such a gushing big deal out of it and say, oh, my goodness, can you believe this? A woman. Yeah. Yeah, I can believe that. Oh, my God, a black man can actually be president. Yeah, and funny, you know, how people of authentic progressive, lowercase p, authentic progressive views that come organically to them because of their lives, their experiences, and their attitudes, I guess same thing, Funny how often they're labeled as uh, as Neanderthals. Some of us, I certainly include myself in that label, but it's funny. It just uh, we're the ones to whom this stuff comes naturally. All right. That said, last night, Obama, Biden, Kane, what a fireball. Okay, my review of last night is a question to you. Who was that up on that stage? That's not the Barack Obama that's actually ruled for eight years. That has, what he said last night has nothing to do with who he is or his actual values as displayed as a president for the last eight years. Biden is an ass clown. I Nothing else needs to be said about wonderful, poor Joe Biden, that, that he is a pitiable ass clown. Kane was picked to go away. I, I think he's kept his part of the bargain already, especially including his speech last night. The question is, did they move any votes? No, no, not did they solidify the Democrat base? Did they help solidify the Democrat base? Did they help maybe motivate the Democrat base? Maybe, maybe, maybe they did those other things. But you know what? I'm a professional. I'm not concerned with those other things. What I'm concerned about is, did it move any votes? Did Obama, Biden, Kane, or anyone else who unfortunately spoke last night, did they reach and appeal to and muster the vote? of people hitherto undecided or opposed? Question mark. Did they, do you think, or did they not? Democrats being Democrats, I I, I wish to note, they screwed up again because they were operating again on Democrats' people, Democrat people's time. Obama, you know what time it was when Obama finished last night? When, When the biggest asset your party has had now don't con- let's not confuse this the biggest ass the party has ever had is going to accept the nomination tonight the biggest asset the party has ever had from a marketing uh, political standpoint is barack obama and what time did he finish last night i'll tell you what time 
just several minutes before midnight. And as we discussed yesterday, this was a mistake they made the night before. They put on their primetime speaker. They can't shut these lesser speakers up. They can't stay on schedule. They're a mess. Democrats being Democrats, they can't do anything on time. And as a result, their biggest possible marketing asset finished his remarks when the eastern half of the United States was already asleep. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. Show only on the Blaze Radio Network. Blaze presents You and Me. I am Jay Severin. You are the best and brightest. One triple eight nine hundred three three nine three. Yes, there are some of the school of thought that uh, say it might have been, might have been worthwhile to spend a few moments last night. Just you know, you've got a lot of throwaway speakers. You've got your stars, and again, man, you've got to get them on earlier. I'm I'm giving you advice which is worth considerably more than you're paying for it. You've got to get you've got to get your prime time stars on in prime time. Barack Obama's speech finished a few minutes before midnight. You can't do that. I'm glad. I'm happy. God bless. But I, it's just great. But you, you, you really, if you didn't know which convention it was and you just fed us a few facts, you, you, this is the second or third night in a row that the prime speakers all finished beyond the time we know the eastern half of the United States turns in, turns off. Maybe he turns on. <laughs> All right, last night, DNC, did they move votes? Did it move votes? Yes or no? Well, we don't know yet, but that's not the answer. That's the question. But the answer to the question is going to determine a very great deal. They sure didn't move ratings. Now, I know this is getting inside baseball, so I I won't, because I'm not knowledgeable of baseball. But the ratings were down across the board. But, but, perhaps the following helped. I have two examples. One is... Bella Pelosi, she wants to suck your constitution. Bella Pelosi, she wants, uh, Bella Pelosi, she, uh, Bella Pelosi, last night on national television, explained, in case any of us didn't know or required a refresher, she explained why less educated white men, her words, yes, yes, I know why... uh, 
uh, less educated white men vote Republican. And and Nancy very gingerly explained to the national audience that they got her on before midnight. Great. Nancy explained that less educated white men often vote Republican, which, by the way, is against their own interests, says Nancy, which, of course, helps explain why they're dumb, right? Why we're dumb. So Nancy says less educated white men vote Republican, vote against their own interests for the reasons that Barack Obama articulated, the three G's. Again, these are all Pelosi's words. The three G's, guns, gays, and God. She said this. She said, yes, it's the three things that motivate the less educated white men that vote against their own interest. And that's guns, gays, meaning gay marriage, she said, and God, meaning a woman's right to choose. Again, her words. These are her words. Perhaps that helped the party appeal to independent voters who were undecided up until last night. All right, that's example number one. Uh, Example number two. Is there a more august Democrat figure I mean, there are a lot of Democrats, there are a lot of Republicans. And then you get men and women who somehow reach that august level where you just expect to see a statue in their honor, a bronze bust, wherever you turn. And, you know, Republicans, you would say, George Bush the Elder would be such a Republican. In the Democrats, you would say, uh, a great example used to be Bob Strauss, God bless him, who passed, but he was like Mr. Democrat his whole life. But now one of those august Democrats is Leon Panetta. I'm not going to bother you with explaining who he is. You know who he is, and if you don't, you don't want me to take the time to you know read his bio. <clears throat> Leon Panetta has been one of those guys that, is you know Mr. Democrat and has been so for 30 years. Last night Leon Panetta made the first substantial mention at the Democrat National Convention. The very first on the penultimate night of the convention for the first time the Democrats finally mentioned the existence of national defense, of national security. They mentioned Substantively, for the first time, the existence of terrorism. And Leon Panetta was in the middle of a paragraph heaping praise on Barack Obama, but primarily on Hillary Clinton. It's it's as if she had been president for eight years. He was in the middle of a sentence heaping praise on Hillary Clinton as to what she had done to fight terrorism and how she is committed, as we must be, to stop these murderers. Whereupon, the chanting 
and heckling and scorn erupted across the DNC auditorium, the hall last night. And it was the Sandernistas, I imagine, but whoever it was, they were numerous because this was a shout-you-down, boo-you-off-the-stage level of volume and protest, and they were chanting, no more wars, no more wars, no more wars. And Leon Panetta, if you saw this, he looked thunderstruck. And I believe he probably was thunderstruck. I believe it's entirely possible Leon Panetta actually did not know why he was being heckled and booed. He really, I think there's a chance he did not know. That he just thought about, what did I just say? Or, you know, did I did I throw up a little bit on myself? And did it, like, did I mess myself? What 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 is, what's happening? I think that's entirely possible. But yes, Leon Panetta was heckled and booed at a DNC. No more wars. Okay. Bottom line, my point. How would you, given a binary choice, which it always is, and and I and I would proffer it is, I would argue it is again. What is the marketplace right now? The vote, I mean the marketplace, meaning the voters. Would you say that the marketplace slash the voters right now is uh, characterized by a dynamic of a desire for change? Or would you say it's a clamor for more of the same? Would you say that polls consistently showing in the last five or six years that a vast majority of voters across the political spectrum believe that America is on the wrong track and that our, we've lost our values, the whole, the whole spectrum of fearful, anxious, apprehensive views of our own country. And you, you look at how consistent and how dire they are. Would you say the... Mar- and, and of course, I didn't mention... What makes a Donald Trump possible? What in the laws of political and other physics allows a Donald Trump to occur? And the answer is the marketplace. What is the marketplace? Well, the Republicans talk about almost nothing else but change. Look, see their convention. The Democrats see theirs talk about almost nothing but everything is beautiful in its own way no everything is beautiful everything is fine everything is fine just the way it is just the way we made it and all we need is more of the same okay today well not today but yes today but today including the next uh about 105 days what is the marketplace what is the marketplace which argument wins over the voters which argument is more likely do you think we don't know but what do you think which argument 
which rationale is most likely to win over the jury? Change or status quo? And who more represents voters, would you say, in this election? The ones who are most concerned with jobs, the economy, terrorism, national defense, illegal immigration, or the ones in the DNC last night chanting, no more wars, no more wars. Which do you think is the winning marketing plan? This is Jay Febron on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Jay Febron on the Blaze Radio Network. Best and brightest, top of next hour. I just want to share with you something that's uh, it's phenomenal. And that, again, I don't mean jaw-dropping, groundbreaking, spectacular phenomenal, but it is a phenomenon of American politics and American life. And it's something that we can observe in real time. It's something to which I have been very, very personally, very directly exposed. And that undersells it. I've actually been a, what do you, you could say victim, you could say willing participant. So I'm not looking for sympathy. And and the story isn't about, believe it or not, the story's not about me. It's about people who run for office. I mean, these days. In, in in contemporary times, uh, and I guess that means since television, radio, electronic media, and now social media have become the coin of the realm, what happens to people who run and lose? It's something we can observe in real time. It is fascinating. I think it's fascinating. Uh, it's true. It's it's very real, and as I say, we can observe it in real time, and uh, that's, I will not be deterred. That's what happens uh, when we rejoin at the top of this next hour, uh, about six, seven minutes from now. Now, last, but I promise you, certainly not least, as pertains to last night, the mainstream media are spending... What would your estimate be? I'm going to stick with my tweet 50 plus percent of the time. I think that's being more than fair. I think it's being kind. I think it may, maybe I'm being too kind, too fair to the point that I'm being inaccurate uh, for the sake of, of being fair, quote unquote. The mainstream media is spending, I'll say, 50 plus percent of the time in the first three days of the DNC talking about Donald Trump. No matter what the DNC says, no matter what the DNC does, no matter whom they have speak, no matter what the speakers say, no matter where they go rhetorically or what they do, The story in the A block the next day, 
absolutely contains Donald Trump or they lead with Donald Trump. Donald Trump is the A block, is the front page every day. Now, might this possibly explain a clear and present danger to Hillary Clinton? And you may have seen this. You'll certainly hear about it before the next few days are up. Donald Trump appears to be gaining something on the order of almost a full point a day in the polls. And again, they're national polls. We don't have a national election, but they're not they're not totally insignificant, especially when you're looking for a trend. Donald Trump is gaining almost a point a day each day of the Democrat National Convention. It's not supposed to work this way. And you can't tell me the Democrats are unconcerned about it. And I guess they're going to try one more night of what they planned. And if things don't look up for them really soon, they're going to have to do a weekend DNC post special. Bill and Hillary, the real story. The Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. An unusual hour is ahead. Unusual hour is ahead. It's already unusual. The record is skipping. Excelsior. Welcome back, best and brightest on the Blaze Radio Network. I am Jay Severin, and man, are we going to miss them when they're gone. These are these are the good old days, but in this case, it gets inversely exciting. I mean, and perversely exciting. The next 105 or so, and then, and then, just after the election, especially if Trump, please God, if Trump wins... Can you imagine what the 105 days, nay, the 305 days, and the indeterminate days after the election, especially, please God, Trump victory, what that's going to be like? Whoa! Whoa! one 888 I'm not going to give you a lot of opportunity in the first immediate block of this show to use that number, although I hope you will and be ready for when we do put partners on the telephone. one 888 Very quickly, uh, I want to get two things on the record. One, uh, by virtue of our charter, which is breaking news and analysis. The other one, by virtue of a point of personal privilege. I will start with that one. Day before yesterday, I believe it was, I rambled, this is not an apology for rambling, otherwise all I'd do is apologize. Uh, 
no, and I don't ramble. I'm being self-deprecating there against uh, the uh, not only my own interests, but against uh, truth, justice, and the American way. Uh, the other day, <clears throat> I opined, I speculated, I conjectured as to the sexual orientation of Sarah Silverman, which I, or who for years, I have been under the distinct impression is... Uh, gay or multisexual in some way. I didn't criticize her for it. And I, this is not in response to any complaint. This started with me and you, and it comes here, and I hope ends with me and you. And this is an apology, but not for rambling prose. It's a recognition and a necessary apology wrapped in one for this. We never determined the other day in our conversation, nor did my cursory uh, and feeble research attempts to determine whether my impressions uh, of her sexuality were correct. So we moved on. As I told this story to my family, because often they they won't hear large sections of the broadcast or not hear it at all, and and as and I will bring up something novel that happened that day. I remember bringing this story up, and one of my girls said to me, and 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 with no agenda, and said in earnestness. I mean, she had been listening. And I got to the point that I just got with you and said, well, as it turns out, we never got to determine, you know, whether or not, you know, whether that was just a misimpression I had or a correct impression or whatever. And, and one of my girls said to me, well, okay, what, and, and what was the point? Again, not in a critical way though it might have justifiably been said critically, it was just so, right, <clears throat> I'm listening, I'm following, but what's what's the point? And it didn't hit me until that moment. Exactly. What's the point? I don't know what made me bring it up, except earlier today I claimed... Uh, fidelity in a narrow sense with millennials in that I'm an original feminist because I'm an original humanist. And so I said, of course a woman could be president. So what? Big deal. You know, but I'll tell you what instincts I don't share with them. It struck me as at the moment as kind of you know, worth knowing, maybe even important, like, well, is she gay or is she not? And it took a member of my family saying to me, right, but okay, where does this go? So what, you know, the the, the question was loving and respectful, but what what it meant was, so yeah, and, and very, very purely and innocently, and so what? And you know what? It's the right question. I don't know why, and shame on me. I don't know why I cared, uh, or care, or ought to. I, I don't know what motivated my 
curiosity as to Sarah Silverman's uh, personal life because it's none of my business. And it certainly doesn't matter. I mean, if she comes on and she's funny, I laugh. I laugh and pee my pants if she's funny. And generally, in my recollection, she is. And if she's not funny, I don't laugh. And and you know what? If she kills or she flops, I don't think it has anything to do with who she was, who she loves or why or how. And, you know, it just was an object lesson. There you go. Let that be a lesson to you. Out of the mouths of babes. Quite literally. You know, so what's the point? Exactly. I don't know. And, 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 and I guess that shows a generational difference. That it occurred to me, and I said, oh yeah, you know, she's the gay comedian. Whether or not she is, why did I care? What what? Because really, it's not it's it's not like me. Anyone who knows me knows I don't. You know, God knows I don't. I've always I, I I'm not only the original independent. You know, I, I I I'm not the original libertarian. I'm the original libertine. I I. You know, I, I have always defended everybody because I need defense. I've always defended everyone hoping that when my turn comes, they'll defend me. So it was just a moment. And, uh, and I hope I, you know, I hope I'm at least educable. I hope I can learn. Second matter. Here's, I'm going to give it to you in headline form. Okay. Cause we don't know anything else yet. I just know what the coverage at the 4 o'clock Eastern hour broke with. Democrats fear anti-Hillary outburst during her speech at convention tonight. Various tactics pondered, including putting Boini Sanders up on stage with her at the very beginning to quell uh, any outburst, except, of course, you can't do much. You you can't put him up there and have him say, okay, here's Hillary, now don't say anything. You you children behave. Don't say anything naughty. You, you can't do that. So you could just put him up there, and he puts his arm around her, and they hug. Uh, but is even that too obvious? I don't know. But your headline is Democrats Fear anti-Clinton outburst during her speech tonight. Please, God, please. Uh, Various tactics pondered. Hmm. Okay. When we come back, the Bernie Sanders story, but not really. It's the American candidates who lose story. It's about Bernie, but it ain't unique. The Jay Severin Show, only on the Blaze Radio Network. The 
The Jay Severin Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Best and brightest. I'm Jay Severin, and I wish to share with you something that is the uh, product of a lifetime spent near and then in and then totally in politics and media, but always sort of principally politics. Ever since I founded my fifth grade civics club and newspaper, uh, B, did I ever mention that before on air? Thank you. Thank you. Well, good. I'm glad I take the opportunity now for the first time to say so. The Bernie Sanders story is not Bernie's alone. And I think it's one that you might want to consider. It's one of the things that when I go speak somewhere, it's the thing that I'm asked about generally later on in the conversation and usually by one of the brightest students because the angle from which it comes is is unusual. I saw Bernie Sanders on the news today. Uh, Today, Thursday. And it was deep into the hour of news coverage. Uh, Not where Bernie has grown accustomed to being in the news wheel each hour. But the first thing I noticed wasn't that it was 47 minutes past the hour, which is phenomenal in and of itself, given recent history. No, that's that it was 46, 7 minutes past the hour, and this was the first time in the newswheel of that hour they were mentioning Bernie Sanders. Yeah, that was a pretty queer thing. But it wasn't the first thing I noticed. The first thing I noticed was that Bernie Sanders, I mean truly, looked 10 years older than he did three days ago. And I am i don't say that out of any partisanship or any uh, cheap attempt to deride him. I just mean I looked at him and he he looked 10 years older than he did on Monday. Bernie Sanders, phenomenal presidential candidate, rest in peace. Bernie, it should be said here, did a marvelous job. He should be very proud, as as I'm sure his his followers, as are his followers, uh, other of course than being ashamed that they are like him. A freaking Kwame, disloyal to the United States of America, as he is. And no, that I'm not joking. That that is what he is, and that is exactly how I assess him in his political dimension, but still, he's allowed to play in the game, in our game, and he did, within the context of our system, our system, the one that Bernie wants to smash and burn, 
I'll try to control myself. But within the context of our system that he wants to smash and burn, he did beyond a great job. He was, was a phenomenon. Postscript, I mean on the forward, from a personal standpoint, And I mean for Bernie Sanders personally, from his viewpoint, this is going to be a rough time for Bernie Sanders and Mrs. Sanders right now. I say that again with no cheapness of motive. I don't say it to mock I say it because it's something I can share with you because it's something I know. Just like if you had spent the last 30 years, you know, building bridges, there are things you could tell me about the construction, the architecture, construction, the bridges that would, I would, you know, no one else could tell me. This is what I've done for 30 years. And I could tell you that starting the moment what what is the moment? Was it the moment that Bernie Sanders conceded and withdrew from the race? Formally, that's the moment. But the phenomenon, the other one, we're discussing right now for the next several moments, is a related but different phenomenon. And therefore, the moment was not when Bernie publicly conceded, when he formally withdrew. When he officially stood up and said, I'm not going to be president of the United States. And Hillary is, and you should vote for her. That's not when what we're talking about here happened. What what I'm talking about, what we're talking about here started happening because it's a process about a week ago and it was you know little reported and little noticed which is understandable but the story is today Bernie Sanders secret service protection and his personal protection unit has been discontinued discontinued Remember that. Bear that in mind as we have this little uh, conversation here. This is going to be a rough time for Bernie Sanders and his wife right now. I know a lot about this. Given my role, not unique, the role of a principal consultant to a political campaign, the role of a principal, uh, uh, principal consultant to a campaign carries with it a certain relationship. N- no two of them are the same, but all of them are alike in a way. You develop a relationship, fairly deep one, and really quickly with your client, your candidate, and with their immediate and 
often extended families. And those relationships start the day you meet, and they often extend surprisingly long after the campaign finishes. And that goes for whether the campaign was a winner or the campaign was a loser. The relationship you have as the principal architect, consultant, advisor to a campaign or one of the principals, one gets to see things about the candidate. Generally speaking, their private lives, their families, where they live, how they live, what they look like when they get up in the morning. I can't tell you. I won't use any names, but I remember having to go. There was one person... Uh, a client, a woman, whom at one of the conventions, it was among my duties, as she had declared, to wake her up at 5 o'clock every morning to g- g- to knock on the door. She and her husband would be in bed. It would be 5 o'clock in the morning, coming back with a lot more. Jay Severin. Excelsior. The Blaze Radio Network. On the Blaze Radio Network. Best and brightest, I want to continue to share with you something that is, uh, is, is, is a perspective that I have just because of what I have done or did for a living for so long. I've seen it from the inside, I, and, and, and I've been a party to it and a victim of it and uh, the whole nine yards, but here it is. I mean for the Sanders personally. This is something you can watch, a phenomenon you can watch in real time. This is going to be a very rough time. Maybe, maybe not, but probably. Because the question that someone raised in a tweet moments ago is, what happens to the losers? I'm going to tell you. My relationship with my clients generally starts if they're not incumbents, if they're challengers. It often starts in their living room or their kitchen, maybe a restaurant, and then you repair to their home, (coughs) pardon me, depending on how it went. But from that moment on, by the time you're in your third meeting with your client, you're in their home. And again, unless it's an incumbent, challenger, clients, you're in their homes. You hear the phone calls come in. You hear them speak sharply to each other, to their children, to other family. You you get to see things you don't want to see. Again, particularly but not exclusively with challengers. But one sees things and gets involved in things, witnesses things, fight between husband and wife, where it's time to go and you have to get in the SUV with them and they're still fighting. And then one of them hideously says, Jay, am I right? Or is she right? You know, 
one sees and gets involved in things the public does not know about, ought not care about, but would be fascinated by. One of them is life for the losers after a campaign. Life after the campaign. It ain't easy. Again, depending on who we're talking about. If you're talking about a Kennedy, if you're talking about someone who's a Kennedy in their state, if you're talking about a well-established family, an affluent family with a, a long history in politics, it's a different story. But if people are not rich, not famous before they run, and they've run for a very big office, governor, U.S. senator, president, and I've had them all, losing is an invisible process, which is not easy. Let's take Bernie Sanders, shall we? He went and his wife with him. Because this is a human story, not a political story. Bernie Sanders and Mrs. Sanders went from being the most unknown backbench of backbench U.S. senators, a U.S. senator nevertheless, but a U.S. senator, 80 years old from Vermont, you can't be, you, you, if you're behind that bench, you're in the parking lot. It's still a very honorable position, which it ought to be noted, pays way less than a third of what good electricians make. Just so this idea that you make a lot of money as a U.S. senator, you don't. So bear in mind, Bernie in particular, he was living out of his van, people say. When he was mayor of Burlington, Vermont, he was living out of his van. There was a time when his neighbors say his electricity got cut off for weeks at a time because he couldn't pay his electric bill. When he was mayor of Burlington, Vermont. Okay, this guy is not, was not to the manor born or from the manor come. Bear in mind, Bernie Sanders' lifestyle was not greatly changed by his position in the Senate. Uh Uh-uh. It was better, but it was not greatly changed. They went from a very, very modest lifestyle to a somewhat more substantial and marginally glamorous one when Bernie went to the Senate. Okay, but then... But then... Within hours of his announcing for president, and then as he became more seriously regarded, or at all seriously regarded, as is now the custom of American public life, Bernie Sanders and Mrs. were launched into that special stratosphere, that rarefied air, that gold standard of American life. Celebrity. And the Sanders, sudden mega celebrities, went from bus rides and 14 hour car rides, 12 hour car rides. If you wanted to campaign and someone would have you, you got in the car and you drove there yourself, you and your wife, with a cooler and stopped to pee and get snacks. That's where it starts. 
And then the next level, if you enjoy some success, is some poor bastard like me is in the back seat. But but not often, thank goodness. Uh, you got to wait and sign them later when they've got some money. Uh, you go from 14-hour self-driven car rides to private G5 jets provided by corporate sponsors. Then to your 727 with a bedroom suite in it hired by the campaign. The Sanders went from scraping together and scraping together enough money to buy gas, stay at the Holiday Inn, to insisting that the campaign make stops only in cities with three or usually four-star hotels. And I know this because it was in not only my client's contracts, but mine. I often lived better than my client's. Because again, what the what what the you know again, not if they're incumbents. United States Senator is United States Senator. Governor is a governor. But you have someone running for one of those offices or president. You have someone running who isn't yet that office. You know, my job is to try and get them there, but at a certain point on the clock, my job theoretically ends. But if they're willing to stay at the holiday inn, that's great. And, you know, you you have my cell number and we'll usually be together every night till midnight or 1 a.m. doing strategy and all of that. But once that ends, I ain't staying at the Holiday Inn. I'm staying at the Four Seasons. And the campaign is paying for it. Or, or, or I'm gone. Or I'm never there in the first place. Now, I'm not bragging. This is not a thing you brag about. It's kind of a, makes me kind of a jerk. Well... There you go. You go from 14-hour self-driven car drives to 727s, from scraping together the money for the Holiday Inn to, to saying, don't stop. We're not stopping anywhere that's not within a 20-minute drive of a city with a four-star hotel. The scheduler and the campaign manager are actually directed, you know, not to stay. In a city that does not have first-class accommodations, you would be shocked if you don't know how quickly one can become absolutely accustomed to that treatment and how you find suddenly you need, you can't do without. You don't know how you ever lived in the absence of the service, the space, the food, the fine linens, the 24-hour room service. A hundred people at your beck and call. All the amenities that go along with a four- or five-star hotel and being the candidate. It's like being the hip-hop star. Once accustomed to these things, I say, you simply will not do without them. You won't stop in cities that don't have them. You won't stop at airports that don't land your 727. This is true stuff from the campaign trail I lived over 25 years. There is an air of entitlement and privilege and actual physical privileges that accompany things like Secret Service protection, that cordon of, you know, somewhere between 10 and 50 people of human beings that surround you 24 hours a day whose only job in life is to protect you with their lives or get you a cheeseburger and Diet Coke at 3 o'clock in the morning, even if they have to drive 
somewhere, you know, to get it and do it without the hint of complaint. This is something that people become accustomed to. Then there is a year or more, depending on the campaign, a year or more of traveling only in luxury motorcades of SUVs with drivers, secret service. I stress motorcades because that is a full year or two years of not only being chauffeured everywhere you go and protected everywhere you go, it's two years of being never in any traffic or waiting for anything ever. No lines at the airports, no security check, no waiting for food, no waiting for anything, anything, 24 hours a day in your life. You live the life of a candidate named Trump. No kidding. And this is a tiny fraction of what someone gets, depending on the office, and to what one becomes accustomed. Just use your imagination, and believe me, I've seen it in excess. I've done it in excess. Now, what happens next? Next. Jay Severin, the Blaze Radio Network. So we finish with what happens to the losers. Okay, two years you're treated like the sun god within your state or nationally, depending on the office. Now what happens with sickening suddenness, with psychic whiplash such as no one thought about or can imagine? What happens is you lose. It is like dying quickly of a disease, but enough time so that everyone knows it and watches you rot. People start to react to you differently. You're not yet dead, but you're walking dead. You're a zombie. You are Bernie Sanders last week saying, okay, I'm out of the race. Suddenly, everything stops. You understand you're not going to be senator, governor, or president, and everybody else does. You see it in their eyes. You see it in... The, the noticeable ways in their behavior, their deference, and they notice. These people go from a prince child to ordinary human beings in hours. It is the most violent whiplash for the human psyche. All of a sudden, one day last week, Bernie Sanders, just because, not to pick on him, we're using him as an example, his Secret Service was withdrawn just like that. There goes the motorcades. There goes the 727. There goes all those things listed above. What happens within hours, days, is that you are returned from the life of a Pasha to the life of an American average citizen. And the difference is breathtaking. It goes from the candidate and his family down to the rest of the family, down to the staff. If you're if you're a top uh, staffer, that means you're there against your will at their home when everybody is crying, the children are crying, the parents are comforting them, people scream at each other. I speak to you from experience. 
Everything is different. Everything is lesser. Now imagine how different life is for presidential candidate. Oh, not anymore, Bernie Sanders. Now imagine what life is like for Mr. and Mrs. Bernie Sanders of Burlington, Vermont. Because little by little, not not today and not next week, but all of it's happening. They're dying while we watch. Imagine Mr. and Mrs. Sanders at home in a one-bedroom home in a small house in a residential community in Burlington, Vermont. Hey, if you have a home, if you have a home, and you're, you have a home in America, and you have a home in Burlington, Vermont, you know what? You're better off than 99.9% of all humanity on the planet. But you don't think so. There's nobody to wait on you at 3 o'clock in the morning. Your evenings are not filled with appearances where thousands and thousands of people hang on your every word. Everything you do or think or say is applauded. And you then you jet out of there in your motorcade and to your big 727. The world now becomes sitting alone. The world becomes as it once was. The world becomes sitting alone with your spouse, well, you know, together alone as a couple in, in most cases, in front of the television set, watching the news and commenting to your spouse. You are no longer a part of that news. You're spouting opinions that suddenly nobody, but if you're lucky, your spouse cares about and are only as important as the guy and his wife sitting next door watching their television set, spouting their opinions, which if the window is open, you hear. It is one hell of a whiplash change in the human condition. That's what becomes of the losers. Bernie's about to see it. We'll watch it. Severin on the Blaze Radio Network.